I think I would notice that as well if I see a father doing something that is not traditionally perceived as the role for the father. You know, I would take note of that and I would appreciate them for for putting themselves out there and doing that. At the same time, I recognize, you know, it's kind of a little unfair because mothers have been doing it and not cared about when they're seen doing it. They're sort of expected to do these things. You know, you kind of want to be aware of that and recognize mothers as well. Towards a Kinder Public, a podcast exploring issues in public space and ways to design kinder space that better meets our interconnected needs. I'm Kevin Castle, and along with Annie Chen, we are Kinder Public. Our guest is Dave Liao, who is Chinese-American, a dad, and a web designer who has been working from home for many years. He is an expert on navigating the city as a dad with a small child. Dave lives with his family in Queens, New York, in what is certainly one of the most vibrant and diverse urban areas of the world. This is the second part of our interview. If you have not accessed part one, look for episode nine on your podcast player or find the audio and a full transcript on our website, kinderpublic.com, under the podcast tab. This interview is personal and direct and highlights important themes about inclusion throughout the conversation. We reflect on the specific challenges of parenting in the city, including the use of public transportation, but all parents will recognize the challenges in this supportive and understanding discussion. This episode is rated clean for content, but I would like to provide a content advisory. There are allusions to male violence and abuse. These comments are made in the vague language that parents often use to discuss grown-up issues without divulging too much of the subject matter to children. But for survivors and those listening to the episode with children nearby, please be aware that this episode references adult themes and how they impact feelings of safety, privacy, and the ability to use public space, including bathroom spaces. To all parents, I hope this discussion about navigating public space with a small child brings you a feeling of camaraderie and recognition for all that you do. And to all of our listeners, this episode references items we can immediately improve and items we need to talk about more openly. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome back. We're picking up the conversation where we left off. We've just finished getting a little bit of a picture of Dave's day as a stay-at-home dad with a small child, and the context is New York City, just as a reminder. If you were ever leaving the walkable neighborhood for an activity with your child, what transportation did you typically use? And was it comfortable for you to use with a small child? Uh, We didn't have a car at the time, um, and so we had to navigate using uh, public transportation or stroller, or when she got a little older, a scooter. Let's start with the stroller. Is um, It's very convenient to use a stroller in the city. We have lots of sidewalks, uh, but then you would navigate to a location where it wasn't convenient to have a stroller, and then it would be a nightmare. I'm sure most parents can relate to just walking through a door is always a challenge with a stroller, and so you learn sort of certain techniques, mm-hmm. but 
but sometimes you're you're trying to get into a busy store or something and it's like kind of tricky. I think I always appreciated the helpfulness of strangers in those situations when they would just ho- open the door for you or something like that. You definitely appreciate it. At the same time, I'd be like, I could do this myself. I don't need your help. Sometimes my pride would kick in or something mm-hmm. like that. Or when going up subway stairs, I hope that it's a lot better now. I don't really know what the circumstances are now with the New York City subway system. But at that time, I definitely found it very challenging. I definitely felt like, you know, oh, I wish I was more of an advocate for handicap rights in the subway or accessibility in the subways, because you could really understand that the difficulty it is traveling around the subway when you're trying to move a stroller around and safely. Right. And there's no elevator and a lot of stations that did have elevators, they wouldn't work or uh, they'd be, you know, really disgusting or or they'd be really out of the way. I mean, it's just like, you know, it just took you a long time mm-hmm. and you'd have to and sometimes it would be very hard to find them and not every stop had them. So you you didn't have the flexibility of just going wherever you wanted. You sort of had to make a plan like for me it was just to go to stations that were major uh, stations or, or main hubs. So they were more likely to have accessible uh, elevators and or escalators or something like that. And the distance between stations that were main hubs or large enough to have an elevator might be blocks and blocks and blocks. Yeah, and you'd be willing to, uh, you know, if you if you had the time, you'd be willing to make that sacrifice if just to have that convenience because sometimes, you know, trying to go up the stairs with a stroller. Carrying it, right? You'd have to carry it. Carrying it. Yeah, you'd have to carry it. and With a child. <laughs> with a child <laughs> and sometimes with very awkward hanging bags and, and all kinds of uh, things hanging off of it. You know, strollers are very convenient when you're rolling on a, on a smooth sidewalk and there's not a lot of people. Um, but then other than that, they're, they're really very awkward and very hard to use. So I think a lot of times I opted not to bring the stroller. I would just opt to use a carrier and just have a backpack for other things. Um, and I think that was my, usually my preferred method of traveling with a small child, uh, in the city. It just felt more like I had more flexibility and more, you know, free to, to, to do what I needed to do as opposed to having to be very restricted by this very large, and cumbersome thing. So that's quite a physical workout, though, to have the carrier, yeah, I mean, the baby carrier. That's why I was saying, yeah, I do feel like as maybe as a man, I wasn't that strong back then. So I, you know, but I think just men usually have more upper body strength. So that that I felt like that was a little bit of more of um, an advantage there. Mm-hmm. I guess when it comes to traveling, yeah, subways were very challenging because of all the stairs. So mm-hmm. a lot of times I would try to do the buses because then you just you're just getting on the bus from the street level. It's not as challenging. But I did feel it was hard to bring a stroller into buses. You had to fold the stroller and so the process would be taking the child out yeah. of the stroller folding up the stroller while the child is standing free. Right. You let the child out and you go run to that seat, run because the bus is going to start moving and then you're going to flop all over the place. You know, so your child will find a seat. They'd have a great time staring out the window. Meanwhile, you're busy folding things and tripping over stuff and, and trying to lug everything to the seat and find a seat. And then at the same time, trying to make sure your kid is not touching weird stuff or licking stuff. And, uh, yeah, and that reminds me of like being a dad. I felt that people did notice me as a, as someone taking care of a small child. I think differently than they would notice a woman or a mother 
or a babysitter or any woman. So I think sometimes it would be a look of concern because it's like, okay, who is this guy? And is because my my daughter is biracial, right? So she's half white, half Chinese. And so she'd have brownish kind of hair, curly hair, and I looked very different. And so I think people thought it was kind of a new people. I felt like people would take a double take on that. They would sort of see, oh, what's the relationship going on here? And I was often, you know, maybe this is all in my head, but I just felt like I was getting that kind of look. So uh, I was often aware of that and tried to, again, I'm overcompensating this perception and trying to show I am the father and I am a good person taking care of this person and not doing anything shady or harmful. I feel like it's probably a different experience for fathers who look the same as their child and also uh, fathers in general, because fathers are probably, men are probably perceived, rightly so, that they could be more dangerous than than a, a woman might be to a child. Do you ever feel like you received more accolades as a dad with a small child? Or do you feel like your competence was questioned? Did you ever feel like you noticed anything like that? Yeah, definitely both. I mean, there's times where people make assumptions as because you're a dad so that you don't know how to do anything. And so they sort of say, let me show you how to do stuff. And um, they, you know, sometimes it's helpful, but sometimes it's an assumption or something like that. Also, at the same time, I do also feel like maybe a lot of dads are unfairly praised for being dads because they are. I remember when I was running on the bus with uh, my daughter and I was combing her hair and I was putting in the little, what do you call the little clips in her hair, you know, making ponytails and stuff like that. And this woman was sitting next to us and observing and she's like, oh, you know, you're such a good father. And I'm like, like, oh, thank you very much. But I was thinking, you know, she's sort of making a judgment because of this one act. You know, I could be a terrible father. (laughs) You know, I'm sure we all kind of question ourselves in that regard. But but I also feel like she's doing that because I was a I was a guy doing this and she could see that I was it probably stood out to her like this is unusual to see a father like publicly making a ponytail for her his daughter or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm aware of that perception. I mean, I, I think I grew up kind of understanding that too. And I think I would notice that as well if I see a father doing something where that is not traditionally perceived as the role for the father, you know, I would take note of that and I would appreciate them for for putting themselves out there and doing that. At the same time, I recognize, you know, it's kind of a little unfair because mothers have been doing it and and not cared about when they're seen doing it. They're sort of expected to do these things. Um, so at the same time, you know, you kind of want to be aware of that and recognize mothers as well for doing that. And so, yeah, and it's hard because I oftentimes want to connect with mothers about these things, you know, with strangers. I mean, mothers that I see that are going through challenging times. And I want to reach out and say, sometimes I'll see the mother carrying the, the child, the toddler in her arms walking down the block. And I know what she's going through. I know that She's going a distance because the toddler doesn't want to walk anymore and she doesn't have a stroller and they need to get to a destination and she just has to carry the child. And it's hard. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's those kind of challenges. And I, and I hope we come to a point in society where men become more uh, responsible or definitely perceived because because it's true that they are more responsible as parents and that they're um, they can be more um, supportive to the community's kids and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm very happy not that you have a stroller anymore. Yeah. Right. 
I remember having like three styles of strollers, one for every specific kind of journey that we might need to make. Yeah. Outside of dedicated child spaces, like preschool programs, did you develop favorite places to go with your child that felt really comfortable to you? What types of places were these and what made them accommodating for you? Well, that reminds me of the services you provided back when we first met, which was the art class. So oh, yeah. so mm-hmm. all these kind of classes for your little kids to have those resources in the community were very valuable and very helpful, especially your class. I remember you, your style of letting the kids explore art in a very uh, free, you know, not overly structured way, um, really let them enjoy it. You know, so any opportunity like that to have them explore things, explore the world, you know, I feel like you when you go to a lot of daycare experiences or places for kids to play, sometimes I feel like it's a little bit too too structured. And so it doesn't allow the kids to really be themselves sometimes. And so, yeah, so I, I try to find places that sort of give her the room to do that. I'm trying to think back to where did I hang out at those times? I mean, mostly it was like those types of things. A lot of times it was play dates, like, ha- you know, setting up play dates with other parents. And we didn't really need a lot. We didn't really need to travel too much because when the kids were little, you know, their block was a big world to them. And so just walking down the street was kind of an adventure for, for little toddlers. So, you know, I'm very thankful for that because, like you said, it's very hard to travel with, with little kids. So. And that's especially why I found it cool to live in a city because you you can have a lot of different experiences within a very small area. That said, it's like also there's just like constant dangers. There's a lot of there's not a lot of green spaces where I live. So it was always a bit of a challenge to find spaces that were outdoors, that were um, safe and nice for small kids to play. Even going to the playground when you had a toddler was felt a little risky because there were a lot of bigger kids running around that could knock your kid over. And then uh, a lot of the surfaces were, were kind of hard and it didn't feel like it was ideal for really small kids. So um, you'd have to find the right type of playground that could accommodate uh, smaller kids. Yeah. I mean, I definitely tried to go to parks as much as I could, whether if I had to take the subway or a bus to get there, it was worth it because, you know, being in the city, you definitely don't want your kid to be afraid of grass growing up or anything like that. So, you know, sometimes you hear these stories where kids, they don't see snow or they don't see grass for the first time and it freaks them out. So I always have that in my back in my head and um, always trying to give her as many experiences as she as she can have. So she sort of has this, she can cope with all these different environments. So mm-hmm. if you go to um, stores and stuff like that, that's another place for kids to explore things. So a lot of times I would just take her to the local drugstore, like Rite Aid or something like that, and just let her explore the shelves because there's all these things. And then, you know, you don't have to worry about them breaking things or, or destroying things or something or doing things that because those are areas that are usually designed for public interaction. Another place is our during the day are pubs because they are usually pretty empty in the daytime. And so, uh, and they're also built very sturdily and you don't have to worry about a kid climbing chairs or, or, or seats and things like that, or, or making a mess because that, that's what they're designed for. <laughs> uh, they're designed for adults <laughs> to do that at night. So, you know, it takes the pressure off as a parent because you, you're, you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. you go to a restaurant, you know, at first I think we tried to go to nice restaurants where we like to eat. And then we tried to have an experience there with a small child and it was a nightmare because yeah. <clears throat> your kid would start crying 
and destroying the experience for the other guests who didn't have children. And so um, you, you learn quickly that that those places weren't really for you anymore. You have to mm -hmm. um, go to a place that is more accepting of children and also has the environment that your child can feel free to be themselves without, you know, worrying too much. So And there's no tablecloth involved. <laughs> yeah, for, for pulling down <laughs> and yeah, destroying everything. Yeah. I love the way that you explained that. That's true. In your neighborhood, there's a lot of really nice family-oriented pubs with outdoor patio areas, and it's really ideal for kids, and they have sturdy furniture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So carrying on with that topic, were there particular amenities that you looked for at a destination to know if the place would be comfortable and accommodating for a dad with a small child? Yeah, I, I think, you know, what you mean in particular is probably bathrooms, especially because, um, you know, it's, it was, you know, it's definitely a little tricky uh, with men's rooms, right? You, it's like, it's a little bit weird to have a child in the men's room, like, because men, right? Because men tend to be uh, more of a risk concern than women. I tend to avoid using men's rooms. Um, I always try to find a family room or I'd find a public space that was I was comfortable using like for diaper changing. And so and if she had to go to the bathroom, I would definitely try to use a family's room. But then, yes, I would have to end up using the men's room because I couldn't go into the women's room with her. And so, yeah, I would often look for spaces that had unisex bathrooms or had family bathrooms. You were finding single occupant bathrooms, all gender bathrooms, right? Yeah, that wasn't too hard to find in the city um, or in a lot of places. You know, a lot of restaurants, they're usually unisex. They would have just one bathroom. And so you, you could bring your kid to that and then you can make sure they're okay. But it was getting tricky when she started to go on her own and she wanted to have that independence and then she wanted to use the woman's bathroom on her own. You know, that was a little bit of a trying time because then I would be, you know, we'd be in different places in the public and she wanted to use the bathroom and uh, I would take her to the bathroom and then I would linger outside of the woman's room, you know, waiting for her and, and kind of leaning in towards the door because I want to make sure, you know, mm -hmm. I'm a little nervous and, uh, you know, there might be somebody else in there and I'm nervous about that. And then, you know, there were a couple cases actually where security would come over and say, hey, what are you doing here? Why are you hanging out by the one's bathroom? And, you know, and I'd have to sort of explain the situation. Yeah. So that's always been kind of a little bit of a challenge. Um, and, you know, there's always challenges like that as they, as your child transitions into a new phase in their life. And, and you know, that's the tough thing about parenting is you're, once you feel like you finally mastered something, that thing goes away. Now it's the next thing that you have to learn how to do. Just to clarify, for people who might not have the same familiarity with New York City and the restaurants and spaces there, it wasn't that you were necessarily finding family bathrooms. There were a lot of single occupant bathrooms, a smaller bathroom not assigned to a gender, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask you, if you were able to find many men's bathrooms with diaper changing facilities, but it sounds like even if they had been there, you would have preferred the family bathroom or the single occupant bathroom. Yeah. Um, yeah, because it's, I think it's just, it's a little, it's just weird to have, you know, do baby changing in the men's room um, because you're, yeah, you're just more, I think I'm more concerned about like, 
you know, I'm a man, but men are can be gross sometimes. So I just want to like protect my child from from that. And so um, mostly it could be because of that reason. And also because you perceive that to be less safe and less private. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm sure we've all encountered, you know, lewd behavior or, you know, men being weird about things. And so, um, you know, so I think that's why I just didn't feel comfortable using the men's room for that purpose unless I really had to. And I prefer to use like a family designated room with a, you know, chain table. But a lot of times what I end up doing was just find a bench or something where I'd feel safer, like using a bench or a chair under, you know, you you go to a table with a chair and change your child on the chair. So you'd have some coverage. And so, yeah, a lot of times it would just work out like that. This might not be the case at all, but I'm wondering if insufficient access to accommodations, perhaps due to society's gendered expectations around caregiving, or just due to a general lack of the types of spaces needed for infants and children, ever discouraged you from visiting activities that were farther away from your neighborhood because you weren't sure that you would be able to have access to the spaces and privacy that you needed, or the opportunities to handle other tasks like heating up a bottle or things like that. Hmm, it's kind of far away for me <laughs> to, for me to remember. Fair enough. I would, yeah, it's it's hard to remember, but um, yeah, whether did I have any limitations? I think that kept me from going traveling to places. There are just so many obstacles when traveling, even short distances. Um, that any kind of long distance travel would sort of be avoided because of you know because it was just so hard to to handle napping to handle feeding, to handle um, changing, and, and various other things, I guess, tantrums and so forth. So I don't know. It's sort of like you really mm-hmm. have to pick something that was very, <clears throat> a place that was very versatile and had a lot of resources. So I don't know. I, th- I feel like I just, you know, I prefer to go places that were just really more like hubs of things so that, that you always have access to different avenues in case anything went, you know, anything happens, which they often did. So To clarify, a hub might be a location with a lot of differentiated kind of spaces or facilities. What would a hub be? Um, I guess a central location, like maybe an area or restaurant that's in a central location where it's close to transportation, where it's close to a lot of resources like bathrooms and and, um, spaces where you have options in case, you know, you need to to do stuff. Uh, yeah, so not a, a place that's sort of isolated, like a store or a restaurant that's sort of isolated and doesn't have a lot around it, um, a lot of options around it to um, deal with or whatever came your way. I was curious to see if you defined it the same way that I did. I think we have the same sort of sensibility about that. And what might be different for people who live outside a more densely built area and for people who own cars is that the parental retreat happens to a car, you know, where you have that Mm. privacy, you have quiet, you might have additional resources that you've built up in your car, a kind of inventory that you're keeping there. But in the city, I feel like now that I've experienced both conditions as a parent, it's like, you need to make sure that you have a variety of things available to you, and you might have to carry them everywhere. Because if you have to leave the area you might have to be on foot for quite a while or on transportation for quite a while until you can get to that quieter area or that space. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think 
about that. But yes, the yeah, the, the convenience of a car is definitely something that I wish I could enjoy earlier in those early years because um, you know, for certainly for traveling and certainly for that reason, the privacy of of like you know having a private space that's available to you is. Um, yeah, very much overlooked, mm-hmm. I guess, when you're, you know, deciding whether or not to to have a car or not. On the other hand, of course, I prefer not to have a car because of the environmental impact, but um, and also the the headache of having a car in the city was is hard. But but we recently got a parking space, and so we got a car during the pandemic, and we're not going to look back on that. <laughs> if you have a parking space, you've won the lottery, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And you just, you know, it costs a lot, but you just you're like, oh, it's 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 a very essential part of our lives to have that convenience and and give us some level of sanity. Yeah, we used to have to plan everything more meticulously whenever we traveled or if we had to do some kind of uh, shopping or something like that. And so having having the party space is very convenient to be able to do that. This may not apply, but I'm wondering, because you're a very hands-on dad and you take on a lot of the parenting responsibilities in your family, and that's not to minimize or understate the amount of work that your spouse is putting in, but you're both working very hard. Do you ever feel that gendered expectations of caregiving ever caused you to adjust the way your family balanced the tasks of parenting while you were out of the house? So for example, if your spouse was with you, would she have possibly taken on an extra task because she would be more likely to find the kinds of amenities needed because they were designated specifically for women? Yeah, I think that happens more so, especially as my daughter gets older, that she has a lot more capability of doing that as as a woman because, like like you say, for example, bringing her to the bathroom, as you as I just you know talked about, the challenges of a man uh, bringing their kid to the bathroom can be. be difficult, especially as they get older. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's many other circumstances where they where um, gender plays a role. I'm sure there are. Yeah, I think that's the big one. I'm wondering, did you ever run across something like an infant room, what is sometimes called a mother's room, and feel like you were excluded from that space? I don't know if I ever felt really particularly excluded. I mean, I feel that there are definitely perceived gender roles in general. For example, if you go Go to a um, like a play space or something. Like recently, we went to a um, one of these trampoline parks indoors, and so I guess the feeling is that the women they gather together, they take care of the kids, and the fathers are sort of just standing around. And usually, I mean, that's usually a typical experience where the mothers tend to feel more comfortable gathering around and talking and sharing their experiences where the fathers tend not to, they sort of, you know, it, it does happen, but it, I feel like it's not as often, like you often feel the men are sort of at playgrounds at other kinds of spaces with kids. The men are often just standing around and often by themselves, either by choice or because that's just the culture around it. And so, yeah, I mean, playgrounds for me have always been kind of a struggling point because for my own child, I wanted her to have a lot of friends on the playground. I wanted her to feel comfortable making friends and making relationships. But because I was a man, you know, kids are naturally shy. So it's hard for them to initiate that contact with other kids, other stranger kids. So I would want to support, I would want to help that along by introducing myself to the other kid and saying, you know, talking to them together 
um, to try to form some kind of connection and then let them, once they feel comfortable to start to engage each other, then they can go off and play. But in order to have that warm up period, I need to be able to be involved and, and communicate with that child or their parent, um, whether it's a father or mother. And, you know, I think it's usually easier to talk to another dad about that, you know, talk to, you know, start to start to engage them because then, you know, I'm a dad, their dad's no problem. But when it's a mother, it's a little more tricky. I have to be more sensitive about it because um, I think this also could be just in my head, but I think it often can appear like I'm flirting with them or they don't know I could just be some kind of weirdo, but I'm a guy. So there's that threat. If if I'm a weirdo woman, they could probably handle it better. But if it's a guy who's a weirdo, that's probably more of a challenge. So, you know, again, I have to sort of in another place in my life where I try to overcompensate by being extra nice and and show that I am uh, a good person and that I'm safe, you know, that I'm safe person to be around. That was an amazing answer, showing that you're a safe person and showing your awareness that there is a safety issue there. Yeah. And I feel like that can be something that's changing now. I feel like, you know, I do see more fathers who are not just there because they have to be there, but there are more fathers who are out there who are more engaged because they want to be more engaged. Um, and so whether or not because maybe they're in the same similar circumstances where they work at home now, especially due to the pandemic, mm -hmm. or because they're just, you know, I feel like the culture has shifted a little bit where men are becoming more engaged in the parenting process and, and are interested in that. And so, yeah, I hope that eventually it's, it becomes more, you know, more equalized there. And at the same time, also, you know, I don't feel bad for myself. I, I, I do feel I am privileged as a man. So and, uh, you know, men have all have received all kinds of privileges in the past and women have uh, have all kinds of struggles in the past. So, right. um, you know, I don't feel bad about it. Just I'm aware that that exists and that for me personally, it's just more of a a little bit of a struggle just to deal with that those circumstances, you know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And also because um, I live in Queens, there's also a lot of cultural differences I'm noting. Like I said, a lot of the kids are Americanized because they grew up here, but the parents are often immigrants. So at least the parents that I encounter on the playground here are mostly immigrant parents. There's a big cultural difference. And so there's a lot of communication gap between us. Yeah, so I definitely found it was very challenging because um, and sometimes frustrating to try to make connection in those circumstances. But, you know, I feel like I have to be persistent because I do want those connections. I don't want to feel like I'm just connecting with people who are like me and who share my views and beliefs and my experiences. I also want to connect. That's the whole reason I'm here is I want to connect with people who have very different experiences who can give me that kind of personal growth in terms of understanding you know, what those differences are and those experiences are. So I, tr I try to, so a lot of her friends do have those parents who are from other places who speak, you know, who, English is their second language and, and we make it work. And it's funny because we, we do have that communication gap. So we kind of keep things pretty light in terms of our interactions. And so when I do have time to actually sit with them and have deeper conversations, I'm often enlightened about what their views are or their experiences are. When you have kids also, I feel like a lot of times as parents, we don't have a lot of opportunities to um, have deep conversations or deeper experiences with other people because we're just very preoccupied with being a parent. 
even you're just trying to say hello to somebody and trying to have any kind of conversation, you just feel kind of if you're with your kid, you feel immediately like tugged away from that. So yeah, that's sort of something that I've adjusted to. And I feel a little bit sad about because、mm-hmm. you don't have that sense of no longer have that sense of self where you're, you're creating connections and relationships with, with a lot of people in a deep and meaningful way anymore because you're trying to do that with your own child now. So that's you're, now you're investing all that energy in your、mm-hmm. child or children. And so, you know, that's the trade off and you, you have to be okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that because, you know, of course, I want that from a child, but, but I guess I kind of also miss having those kind of deeper or more developed relationships with other, other people. That was a very, very beautiful statement. Oh,、um, thank you. Being able to hear differences and opinions and making space for those things and really having a commitment to making it work because you have a commitment to your child and her relationships. I really want to thank you so much for sharing your time so generously. It's been a wonderful conversation. Oh, thank you so much.、Um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's, it's definitely、uh, a wonderful experience to, to talk about these things and to reflect on these things. And, you know, definitely gives me a sense of empowerment to be able to do that. So thank you for, for giving me that opportunity. How can listeners find you online and support your work? I guess. You could find me online through my social media, but、uh, you could just find me through Off Peak Design、uh, by Googling Off Peak Design or、um, going to offpeakdesign.com.、Uh, no dashes or anything. You know, I don't know if you want to connect. I'm on social media and Instagram and Facebook, and I think that's in LinkedIn or something like that. But I try to socialize more in person than online, but,、uh, but I'll look there occasionally. So visit Queens. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to Towards a Kinder Public on your favorite podcast player and please leave us a rating and a review. It helps increase the visibility of our message and we really appreciate your support and feedback. To share information about issues in public space and spaces or businesses that are doing things right, email podcast at kinderpublic.com. Links to more information about the guest and topics mentioned, as well as a full transcript of the conversation, are available on the podcast section of our website, kinderpublic.com. Visit our website to also learn more about our work. I'm Kevin Castle. Our guest this week has been Dave Liao. Thanks for listening. I wish you a good week.